All right. Well, here we go. Jumping into this. What are we calling this? Is this the, I mean, we're talking about race and worship. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Here we go. God help us all. I'm so nervous. <laughs> I'm terrified of this episode. Like, utterly yeah, you terrified. know, in some ways I think that's a good thing too. I mean, like, you know, we're, 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 we're two white guys talking about race in worship and then we're going to put it on the internet. I know. Say, I, Hey, please listen. Please to listen this. to this. Yeah. What are we doing? All right, let's go. All right. <clears throat> Help us, Lord. Well, hey, friends. Welcome back to another uh, adventure here with the Bearded Levites podcast. I am Jeremy, one of your co-hosts. And as always with me is... I'm Taylor. I'm the other co-host. <laughs> Good to good to be together again today. Always. Uh, always good to be together and to see Taylor. And so, uh, as and you know, we'll here how long y'all stay with us <laughs> when you find out what we're talking about. As always on the Bearded Levites podcast, we're we're always talking about um, topics and and things that are all about congregational church corporate worship um, and how those things relate. Um, to what we do as leaders, as band members, as volunteers, as lay people, whatever title you want to put on it. Um, and uh, we like to come at it from different points of views. And um, and so anyway, today is kind of a hot topic. It's one of those that, uh, okay, it's a hot topic. It's not yeah. kind of, it's a hot topic. And it's one that we, um, and I, I will say for myself, I'm, I'll let Taylor speak for himself, but uh, for me, as I've already admitted to Taylor, this is one of those topics I feel completely out of my depth on. And, 100%. And uh, I think he feels the same. And um, we are going to do our best to throw this out and not step on our own toes and step on our own, step over our own tongues and things like that. Today, uh, we're tackling race and worship and yeah. uh, how those two things fit together. Let's look at it biblically. Let's look at it in our worldview, through our worldview, um, through a biblical worldview. And then as we're talking about race, we're talking about reconciliation. We're talking about all kinds of things that go hand in hand together. So, man, Taylor, I don't know how you want to start this thing. Well, I think we should speak to the fact that we tried to start it six times and kept giggling at how uncomfortable we are. Um like yes i was laughing up until jeremy before we started i am like the walking embodiment of privilege as like i am middle class i'm a dude i'm white i'm protestant i'm middle class i'm heterosexual and i'm cisgender like i hello i'm the avatar of like privilege and the world just like bows down to me all the time it's like what's up white man you can do anything you want and so it feels weird to talk about this because it's not a thing like racial injustice is not really a thing that I have to deal with in my everyday life. Hmm. But, and like, I'm sure some people have already like turned us off for this episode <laughs> because they heard race and went, Oh, it's a political. Episode. Oh, we're doing one of these. Um, except that it's not a That's political right. issue. Like there are political implications because there are uh, policy implications that need to be dealt with political structures, social structures, policy structures that just had 
racism and racial injustice like baked in from the start. And so there have to be political methods and machinations to undo a lot of that. But it is a theological issue. It is a liturgical issue, which is our whole deal on this podcast. So uh, for those of you who might be listening and are unsure, if you tune, if you already turned it off, you're not hearing of this anyway. So whatever. If you're still here and unsure, <laughs> thanks for stick listening. with us because I think one th- myth that needs to be busted about this topic is that it is in fact a church issue. It is a theological issue. It is a Christian, biblical, theological, ethical issue that racial justice does not go down in a lot of our liturgical contexts. Mm. So it is weird that we are talking about it, but it is also vital that we talk about it because if we ignore it, it nothing happens. Nothing's better. Nothing changes. Right. Uh, and we have to do better. Right. So and, and here I, we are. And I think for both of us, you know, we, we want to engage that discussion. We want to engage good thought about it. And, and, and even though we don't have, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you honestly, you know, I come from a, I come from a pretty strictly white, you know, background when I'm thinking and planning worship and, and, and cause that's, that's the church I serve. And so, and I think, I think Taylor would say pretty much the same thing. Oh yeah, these, for sure. These are the communities we find ourselves in, but that doesn't mean that we can't uh, strive towards better racial engagement, better, better ways of doing it and looking for diversity and leadership and those kind of things and d- diversity across the board. And, and not, and I think not just for the sake of having diversity, but for the sake of doing those things for the gospel, as the spirit leads, as the, um, as we, as we look at it as a whole, as we're doing, as we're going forth as, you know, as you might get from the, the great commission, we go and make disciples. Yeah. Um, That's a spot where I feel personally a lot of tension about it. Not that I think like diversity and leadership is bad because I think it's very good, but it feels almost like the second step sometimes, or we try in a bad way and we end up tokenizing somebody of like, look, there's a person of color on the platform now. Like, look at how progressive and diverse we are, but they are the drop of color in a super duper white sea. It's not actually a culture identity within the church. It's look, we did the thing. Look at how good we are. And so finding the ways to change the base level church culture is really where my brain kept going in all the prep for this episode. Mm. Where, how do we change that to where the other outward expressions of this that we try to do are genuine and authentic and not just, oh, yes, especially as like a choral singer growing up, high school, college and everything. It never failed. We would have a very like European program. And then that one song from Africa, that new hotness right now. Oh, somebody found that spiritual that an indigenous group has been singing for centuries. Mm. And they're like, neat, here you go. And so everybody's doing it. And you do a little like awkward choreography where you used to like step back and forth on the risers. Maybe there's some clapping if you're getting real ambitious. Right. Uh, I also, for those of you who aren't watching our recording, I am currently dancing some back choreography on our Zoom call that no one else gets to enjoy except Jeremy. 
uh, and I guess Jesus, but he's probably over it. Um, but it, 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 it always felt very tokenized of like, here's, here's the stuff, like all the rest of the programs, like this is really what we're about. This is who we actually are. It's classical. It's European. It's all those things. But then there's the one moment where everybody can go like, oh, look at us. Look at the thing we're doing. And I feel that way in church a lot where like I struggle to program spirituals for my church choir. Mm. Not because I think they're not worthwhile because they are, but because it always just feels odd to me. It feels a little bit just like now we're going to do this for a day. And so I don't know what the answer is. And I feel like that might be the tagline for this whole episode is I don't know what the answer is. But it's true. Yeah. I, I feel like the work has to start at home. Mm. Like we have to work on us and our preconceived notions, our biases, our own social locations, like where we're starting from, ways in which we didn't even realize we were participating in a racist system in the church, uh, not just in culture, but in the church, and challenge that in ourselves, see how we can be better. And then from there, make moves to be better more broadly. Yeah. Of, we, no, go ahead. No, no, that, that's, that's it. It's, I don't no, know. It. You're I don't right. Know. Like, I'm, I'm out of the bag. Well, there's, uh, I, I'm just going to reiterate this kind of the same thing that when, when we first started talking, when you, when you first threw this topic, and by the way, I'm going to go ahead and say Taylor decided we were going to do this topic. I did do this, <laughs> but I, I'm totally on board with it. But when you threw this out and said, hey, what if, what if we did this, what if we did an episode on race and worship and kind of how those two things, you know, relate and go hand in hand? And, and you know, and I, I, I was at first kind of like, okay, yeah, cool. I mean, because at first I was like, yeah, I mean, I completely agree with that. But the more we, we dive into it, I'm like, man, I don't, I don't know that I really have a depth in this at all. I, I, I have a very shallow sense of what this is all about. And so I've enjoyed the challenge of, of digging into this. One of my first calls was to a buddy of mine uh, named Mina Mawara. Uh, I met him in seminary um, doing some stuff in New Orleans. And, and uh, Mina has been, man, he's been a pastor. He has served in ministries um, all over the world, all over the U.S. He's worked in a lot of inner cities. He's done a lot of multicultural uh, work. And, uh, and so I just called him and said, hey, man, you got some time that we can chat. And, uh, and let me ask you a couple of questions. One of the things he said that, that and he kind of kept, he kept coming back to this point was, is that any type of reconciliation, any type of building, you know, multicultural worship, building um, across, you know, racial divide, any of that kind of stuff, it comes back to relationships. Um, and we've said this on this, you know, we've said this on the podcast before, that the worship, the leading, the things that we do, it all comes down to relationships. Well, why would, why would race be any different? This comes down to building relationships where we are in the ministries we are doing um, and, um, and, and, and letting it grow from there. And, and, you know, and I think a lot of this also goes back to trusting the spirit to work in us and work through us and work in those communities and work in the situations that, um, that we're in to, to better us, to make us better, to, to help conquer those divides. I mean, we can try to do it on our own, right? But the spirit is going to be the one that, that really makes it work or not work, in my opinion. 
At so, what point do the relationships start? And let me also now define yeah. the relationships. Is it, because again, this is the, I've been trying to do a lot of reading, a lot of educating myself on like ways I can be better. And one of the, the themes that keeps coming up is like, it is not the job of people of color to tell white people where they fall short. It's, it, it, it's not like, it's up to us to do a lot of that work on our own. And from there come to a place where we can engage with people of color in a more authentic way and not just like, Hey, I'm trying, but make like you make me better is not how that should go. And so I know that that's a lot of first thought for a lot of churches is, Oh man, we really need to do a better job of like racial reconciliation, racial justice. Let's do a joint project with the right. AME church up the road or right. that uh, Latinx church across town or something like that. And it's kind of like, a, oh, we did it, neat. Or we show up and it, then it's like, okay, y'all tell us, minority church, you tell us, white church, like you tell us about you, you tell us what we need to do and that will move the goalpost like that, that that will progress racial justice and uh, it, it it really seems like a lot of what i'm reading and hearing and listening to trying to find podcasts and things that have minority voices trying to listen to these people and hear their voices is uh like it's not on them to teach us and so how do we do that work for us with us before we even start the the process with another church. Like they don't need us coming in and be like, make us better. That's where my brain has been sitting in all of this, like doing that work first. Right. Unfortunately, the answer I keep coming back to is like, oh, well, like communion, it's perfect. Uh, what a great tool of this open table where literally everyone can have a seat no matter what they look like. And when you come here, you have to reckon with the fact that everyone gets to be here. Maybe even that group of people you don't like, Mm. whatever that distinguishing factor is race included. And so using that as a springboard into, well, let's really dive into why we may not have engaged with that racial group before, why we maybe have some hidden deep seated biases that we don't even realize, except that we don't do the table very often. And that's my new struggle in all this as a liturgist is like, man, what I feel like is the most powerful liturgical element we could do, we don't do. Because it also has to be some kind of element that we do a lot. Mm. It's got, I I feel like it's got to be something that we regularly engage in because that's how it's going to shape us. If like, if we do communion five times a year, and that's in when it's not a pandemic. <laughs> Five out of 52 is not going to do it. It's got to be a regular every week and kind of where you can turn the gym again and again, multifaceted, engage in all these different ways to challenge it in all these different ways. Hmm. Sorry, I know I'm talking a whole bunch, but uh, that's good. Pulling it, out of my, pulling it out of my, and we use the podcast to proofread, <laughs> but um, the other one would have required some kind of bleep. Um, but, but engage that too. Yeah. Do what we can do that too. 
we could, but, 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 but the issue then is like, well, everybody knows. Yeah. Like everybody knows what I said, but also I'm talking about what I would have said. So also everybody knows. Yeah, but you know, uh, Hey, all those church members listening to our <laughs> podcast. Um, yeah, I feel like I could probably could have been way more concise about all the things I'm trying to say right now. But I think that also speaks to the fact that there isn't a concise answer to all of this. Right. If there was, we'd all have done it by now. We, absolutely. I mean, yeah, we all would have figured is, out like, oh, just do that. And like, everybody's great. Right. But we don't have one. For me, this is what makes this such a complex issue is that there's all these different facets to it that how do we, I mean, in some ways, like if we take it into my church and I'm going to answer the question that you just asked for, for my church, for where I am, you know, for us, I can do all kinds of things personally. I can start learning. I can start educating myself. I can start seeing um, and looking for opportunities. I can personally, you know, find places to be of service um, and start building relationships in communities that I wouldn't normally be a part of to educate myself, to learn, to grow, to build relationships. But as far as my church body as a whole, right, that has to come through different ways. And I think for us, that starts with our leadership. That starts with our, with our, you know, with our elders, with our pastors, with our ministers. And that is us helping the congregation learn there's more, (laughs) there's more to what we do than what we are looking at right here, right now. Right. There's more to us. There's more to the body of Christ than what we, than what we do and what we see right now in this moment. I don't know if that makes sense, but it does. It does. And I agree that like, there's a lot that each, each of us individually can do. I feel like that's what I've been trying to do a whole bunch of these last several months is like a lot of reading, a lot of listening, uh, greatly diversifying the voices I spend my time with, uh, especially in podcasts. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I love podcasts. And actively diversifying, did what every good progressive white person does, which is look for all the good progressive books and good progressive podcasts, found them. It's And it's been, honestly, and like, I am, man, this is, all right, vulnerability time. I feel like we need a sound effect for like a vulnerable moment. Uh, yeah, or like the bum, 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 the more you know sound, something like that. Vulnerable moment. I actually would have said uh, before all this, I was a white person doing a pretty good job. I wasn't. I wasn't doing a bad job, but I wasn't doing a good job. There's a long way between bad and good. Um, and so realizing like, man, I have such a long way to go to actually be the person I want to be. Um and so, yeah, doing all that good individual work, which I highly encourage everybody to do. Man, if you're listening to this, find a good book to read. We talked about it before the episode. We might put some links down below in the description of this episode post. So we'll drop some good stuff in there that I think would definitely be worth y'all's time. Yeah, but then like liturgically, corporately, worship-wise, it is that question of like, what do we do together? Because that's that's the whole deal of this podcast. Otherwise we would just have a devotional podcast. Right. But we're talking about worship. We're talking about the corporate identity of a church. And I'm part of why I do what I do. And I'm so convinced it's actually worthwhile is it's the one time the whole body gathers. Mm. 
Like there's not another event in the life of a church where that many of us are together at one time. Right. And so if we're going to try to engage the kingdom of God in its deepest and broadest way, it happens, I really believe, in worship. Hmm. Not to diminish what happens in small groups or mission trips or spiritual retreats or anything like that. Like Those are also wonderful, amazing things. But in my understanding of the spiritual life, that all flows out of the liturgical event. Right. And you know I'm a nerd because I call it the liturgical event. Uh, I heard myself say that just now. I caught it. Don't worry, everybody. And so... First step is admitting that you know there's a problem. I admitted that three years ago when I started <laughs> a ministry in liturgy. Go Sewanee. Um, tigers. It took me a minute to come up with our mascot. I couldn't remember who they were. <laughs> I'm not exactly keeping up with the sports teams. Um, but... And I'll also give a disclaimer to what I'm about to say. These two issues are in no way the same. But one thing that I feel like Trinity has done very well is intergenerational worship. Mm. Because it feels normal now. We have all ages, all stages of life represented in worship pretty much all the time. Mm. Now, in a single service, no, that's bonkers we would just be adding elements to get people up for the sake of being on a platform. But you look at us over the course of a month, three months, six months, a year, the entire cross section of the church exists on the platform. And it's normal because we've done it long enough and we've done it deeply enough that it feels just, it's a part of who we are. And so that then speaks to our kids have greater ownership of their own faith. Our youth have greater ownership of their own faith. Our young adults know that they are a valued demographic in our church, not just because everybody wants young people, but because they also get to have a role in the gathered life of the church. Right. And so this is where my fear of tokenizing something diversity and knowing we need to build a consistent, regular culture of diversity and inclusion and like racial engagement, cultural engagement feel at odds at times. Because in order for things to not feel tokenized, they have to be a deep part of your church culture, which means at some point, the early ones are going to feel awkward. I wasn't here when Trinity first had kids come up and read scripture on a day that wasn't called Children's Sunday, but I'd imagine the first couple were really strange or were just a, oh, how adorable kind of moment. Right. Yeah. yeah. And nobody thought like, Everybody just kind of went, oh, neat, they're so cute, and then moved on until we did it again and did it again and did it again and again and again until everyone just went, yep, that's a six-year-old reading scripture. This is part of it. That's what we do. Yep. Yeah. And so engaging the language and imagery of social justice, of racial justice, is going to be a system shock, I'd imagine, for a lot of people Hmm. in a worship service. Because again, what we said way at the beginning of this episode, they're going to hear that and immediately go, oh, political, I'm out. Right. Well, that first one was real awkward. The second one is probably going to be real awkward again. Probably going to be some angry emails of like, why are you making this political? Because it's not political. It's dealing with the divine image that is integral to all people Hmm. and the dignity that they not only should have, 
but like deserve because they are a child of God. Yeah. The systems that keep them oppressed and keep them restrained that keep them from having opportunities that keep them in poverty that kill them over nothing need to be undone because they are children of God. And so that idea has to just ingrain itself into white church culture to the point that we all go, man, we goofed. Let's do better. And then I, I feel like we can reach out, not from a place of, hey, y'all make us better, but we are going to be better. And to be better, we need to be more than just us. Right. I've talked for a very long time. <laughs> I just realized, I just no. went to the clock on my computer and was like, Oops. No, man, I'm, I, was, I was letting you go. It was good. I, there's, as you were talking, one thing is I was thinking about this, this whole idea that you know, the church, you got to get somewhere where the church, you know, that feels natural, you know, to us as a church, um, as a white church. If one thing's my, one of the things my friend Mina said was, was that the church traditionally <laughs> moves very slow He's when it not. comes to diversity, when it comes to changing culture, when it comes to investing in something new, the church moves very slowly. However, what you look at when you look at the book of Acts, this is coming after the resurrection, after, you know, the ascension. What Luke tells us in chapter one, the disciples are sitting around there looking at the sky because Jesus has just, you know, ascended. And an angel comes down and says, look, they, they told you what to do. Go, you're going to be my witnesses, right? In, in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to all the other parts of the world. And then what you see from moving on from there was that the, they started this you know, they started the church, they started in one place, and then it began to grow. But still in the back of their minds, I think they were thinking, you know, this is for the Jew, right? Because Jesus says, I came for the Jew. I came for the Jewish people. But what they come to find out, and number one, through 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 Paul, and then you get back to Peter, who has the same type of experience, where what happens is that it grows beyond the Jewish people, and it grows to the Gentiles. It grows to uh, it grows into different facets of the world in different places. And I think it grew beyond what they could even imagine what it was going to be. And, and so you have this, you have this great, I mean, you, there's a great story with Pete, with, um, with Peter. And then this guy comes and says, Hey, you're supposed to go with me to my village. And so he gets up, he goes, <laughs> he goes with these guys to their village and turns out that these are some Greek people. They, they know nothing, but they're hungry and they want to know about Jesus. And so, Peter starts teaching and starts talking and telling them about Jesus. And in the middle of his sermon, the spirit of God falls and these people start talking in tongues. They start showing signs that the spirit of God is all over them. And Peter goes, Oh wow. Wait, this is, wait, does this mean that God accepts them too? Right. It's like, does that mean that God takes them and accepts them the way that he does us and the Jewish people? And then we cut back to this picture of Paul, who's who's already been doing the same thing. And then you get to this chapter fifteen, where in Jerusalem they're having this argument. Well, are we are we supposed to are we supposed to accept the the Greek people? Are we supposed to accept the Gentiles the way that we understand we're supposed to accept the Jews? Um, and they come to this conclusion that yeah, yeah, that's exactly that's exactly what's supposed to happen because the gospel is for everybody, right? 
and and so it it moved very fast and it moved across uh, borders and it grow, it moved across cultural lines and it moved across all kinds. And I think, I guess where I'm kind of going with this and relating this back to, we, we, you're right. We have to, we have to find a place and have to find a mechanism by which that becomes natural for us. And, you know, I, I love, I love your idea of the table and, and not just communion. I mean, of course, communion is, is the great, you know, that's the great banquet, right? That's the, that's the, that's the place where we all under one name get to experience the and get to experience and remember and embrace the beauty and the grace of Christ no matter who you are right no matter no matter your color no matter your language no matter your background you know I'm reminded of the book the ragamuffin gospel by Brendan Manning and I remember the first time I read that book, I read the first chapter of that book and then I threw it down in a corner and I didn't read it. I didn't pick it up for months because the first chapter he goes on talking about grace and that this grace is just an amazing thing that's available to everybody. And, and on surface that sounded great, but then he got on talking about how grace is available to you and me who get to a place where we realize we need grace. Right. And, but he also goes on to say, Grace is also available for the people who don't yet realize they need grace. And it's available to the drug dealers who are out on the streets. It's available to the prostitute who's working, you know, late at night and all hours. It's available to um, the single mom or the single dad or the parents who just have had crappy lives. It, it's available to everybody everywhere in whatever circumstance you're ava- you, you find yourself the grace of God is available, right? And and when you start thinking in those terms, like we come across this table, it doesn't matter who you are, everybody is welcome at the cross of Christ and at the communion table. And so I don't know, there's something rich there in my in my in my thought in that. There's something exciting there too, I mean, for me. So I think I think communion is a great place to start. I think it's a great place to start teaching and educating. But I also think that you know, the songs and the way we choose to do songs in corporate worship is important as well. Um, I think that, I think that speaks, I think that educates. We don't just sing uh, good music because it's good music, right? We don't just sing because, oh, well, this is a snappy song. We like that. We sing because it teaches. We sing because we learn corporately when we do that together. And so, I think I think finding songs that speak into those situations. I'm not, and I'm not I'm not suggesting we do multicultural worship because <laughs> you know we need to be you know multicultural. That's not what I'm saying. I think there's a beauty in being who we are. I think there's a beauty in being who God has created us to be. But I think I think if we choose songs. Well, we can choose songs that speak and teach our congregations in ways that we we haven't quite thought of yet, maybe. Yeah, and I could not agree more about like the words that we sing shape who we are. And to tie that into what I mentioned before, that like everything else that we do as a church flows out of the liturgical event. There has to then be, though, some follow-up where if we sing about justice, if we sing about grace, like you mentioned before, like it is for everyone, we then need to go and do something about that and with that. 
a lot of the clergy I follow on Instagram, Facebook, even TikTok, one of the more convicting things I have seen that have kind of really pushed me like, we need to make this an episode. I need to actively try to do more and better about all of this is like, we can't in good conscience show up on a Sunday and sing about like, God, we want to see the world the way you see it. We want it to be the way you want it to be. Break our hearts for the things that break your heart and all that kind of stuff. And then be unmoved by the death of people and the oppression of people for simply the color of their skin. Like there has to then be an active follow-up to the things that we do. And I don't know a good follow-up from there. Like what that then means for like mission work or is it advocacy or is it helping to work with support systems? Is it partnering with allies? Is it, I, I don't know. I genuinely don't know what the follow-up is, but there has to be one or we didn't make a good song good. Hmm. Yeah. A buddy of mine and I have been talking a lot about prayer. He, he's had a lot of questions about prayer lately. And so I saw another thing on social media. It's funny how often I reference social media as actually being a good thing. because so often it drives me insane. But it, it was a, a little graphic about prayer, a meme, if you will, just not a funny one of like, yes, by all means, pray. That's a wonderful thing to do. Just make sure your hands and feet are praying as well. And that's where I feel like a lot of our disconnect happens is we'll talk about it. Um, and then we don't necessarily do a thing and money speaks where money goes speaks a lot. And so who are we supporting both locally and nationally, even globally? What organizations do we support for the work they're doing? What organizations do we maybe not need to support for some of the things they're doing? that are actually working against these things. So I think our language is so vitally important, but then that language has to be followed up with opportunity to actually go and do a thing, to reinforce our thought with action. And as someone who has spent the vast majority of their life being like super duper lazy, there's a reason why I've loved school forever. It's because I love thoughts, love thinking about stuff, love learning about stuff, but then I just want to sit on the couch. Like that, and, and, and that has changed in my life in the last few months. For those of you listening, I've lost nearly 40 pounds. It's pretty dope. Um, but there has to be a physical manifestation, like an, an activeness to this. Whether that is financial, physical, emotional support of some kind, whatever, like there has to be some, some engagement there. But I do think it starts in worship. I think we shape the culture of a church in worship and challenging our ideas and it's uncomfortable like it it's hard oh i can't even imagine the angry emails that would happen phone calls visits like by by doing this work sure this work killed jesus so i don't know why we would expect anything less Hmm. but he straight up got murked for it so (laughs) an angry email seems really chill by comparison (laughs) Well, but, yeah, and it's 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 funny how divisive these things can be because, particularly in church, I mean, here you know whether whether you come because some people like on some of the things you've 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 already mentioned, like that I can already hear some arguments from other side, you know, in my mind of people saying, well, yeah, but what is who's really oppressed and what is oppression and blah 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 blah, and we're we're gonna we're gonna go down that route. Here, here's the thing, in my opinion, 
no matter where you where no matter what side of a political aisle or which way you lean um whatever ideology you have it comes down to this can can we agree that as believers that all people all colors all races all language whatever if you if if you have skin and you're a living being that you you reflect the image of your creator we are bearers we are image bearers of god almighty as those who as the word we believe the word tells us that the breath of god lives in right we we were breathed into by the breath of god that means we are created in that image we are we we hold us we we hold a little higher standing and it doesn't matter what color you are it doesn't matter um from what walk of life if you are if you are a human you are an image bearer of, of god yeah. and and if we see a moment where some system is keeping the breath of god from being able to breathe right and we as the people of god need to do something about that's it. right we need to address that we need to yeah it needs it needs to be it needs to be fought against now, granted, are there <laughs> are there a hundred different ways and methods by which to do that? Who's to say what's the best way to do that? Well, this is where I think it comes down to like, you know, <laughs> to those who are dealing with it. Like, I don't know, I'm a white dude. Like, I'm fine. Though this whole system is set up for me to just like chill. Mm. But we probably need to listen to those who deal with this and believe what they say. Just because I haven't dealt with it doesn't make it not real. It just means I, it hasn't existed in my world yet. That is one of the things that like makes me genuinely mad is when I hear white people be like, well, that doesn't happen. It, yeah, it does. Like we have cell phone videos of stuff happening. Like uh, I think it was Will Smith that said like racism hasn't gotten worse. It's just being filmed. Uh, yeah. Like, I can just do do this, and again, for those of you listening at home, I just held up a uh, a camera <laughs> phone. phone. Yeah, a camera phone, a smartphone. Well, this isn't like two thousand two. Camera this. phone. Camera phone. Uh, hello, welcome to our podcast. We're old, um, but like, how do we help? Well, we listen to those telling us how we can help and what needs to be done, and we do it. Yeah, which when we put it that way, it sounds really easy. <laughs> Yeah, given why, that haven't, why haven't why haven't we fixed that yet? I mean, come on, Taylor. Yeah, given that this has been going for hundreds of years, if not arguably like all of time, it's not easy. But right, it is it is good. It is good work. It is good yeah. kingdom of God work. Hmm. Hey, you know what? I'm really glad we did this episode. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's you know, I yeah, I still I mean I'm glad we're talking about it. I still feel completely um insignificant. Oh, like, yeah, <laughs> that didn't change. Um you know. But again, the first one's awkward. Yeah. The second sure. one hopefully be maybe a little less awkward. And every step we take towards humbling ourselves, acknowledging our own privilege, acknowledging that there are like just racist systems everywhere, even within the church and listening to, to those who are victimized and oppressed by those systems. Every step we take down those paths will bring us one step closer to justice in the kingdom of God. Hmm. 
will fall a bunch and it will fumble and bumble and find out that somehow we got turned around and seven of those awkward steps are actually the wrong direction. Hmm. And so we'll need to reorient, turn ourselves around, find a North star somehow and get back on track. But every step matters. Hmm. Every step is important. It's good. You know, we may, we may get to a week um, or we may get to another, another episode one time and say, you know what, we got more to say about this. I hope we do. Cause that means things are happening. Right. I mean, I, I would hope so. It means we're growing. It means we're learning. It means we're moving ahead. And I, I, you know, I want to be, I want to be learning. I want to be growing. Certainly want to be educating myself um, in, in these things. And so uh, let's say this, I'd say kind of coming to a close. Yeah. Um, Any, any other thought you might have um, specifically speaking into corporate worship as we finish up today? That just because a corporate worship changes weird or awkward or new or different doesn't make it bad. Mm. The church tends to see change as bad. I think that's a, I don't think it's an unnatural step to, to take from serving like an immutable God, uh, age to age the same <laughs> to then feel like, well, we need to also be age to age the same. Like, no, we need to, adapt and be flexible and be ready to see the immovable God in new and exciting ways day in, day out. And when we do, when we realize that God is calling us to see that the systems we thought were good for so long are in fact off balance and from their core, not doing what they were supposed to, well, we need to then adjust because God is the same. God is a God of justice and grace and love and mercy, but we missed it. So we need to change. That means what we do needs to change, and that includes corporate worship. And so as we bumble our way through those changes, that doesn't mean it's bad. It just means we're growing. Yeah, it's different. Yeah, that would be my my word, especially to anybody listening to this who is a worship minister and is wanting and hoping to make some kind of corporate change in their own context as well. Like you'll get pushback under, if you don't, please let me know. Yeah. What kind of unicorn are you what kind of like freaking Elysian like field? Are you serving in where everything's wonderful and idyllic the whole time? Um, I don't, I'm not sure you're a real person, um, <laughs> but don't lose heart. Keep going. It is the work you're doing is good Hmm. when you're working towards a just kingdom. Hmm. Can't stop. Won't stop. That's good. Good. um, I think good start today. Good start. Um, Yeah. I, that might be the best way to end this is to say good start. Good start. Yeah. Uh, We just talked for an hour about (laughs) the most monumental issue of the day and good start. That's it. Start. Yeah. I, I don't I don't I don't know what else to say. Um that's a good good starting place. So well good stuff. I I'll say as we close out today that um uh, just remember uh we are now on social media, the Bearded Levites podcast. Uh you can find us on Facebook and on Instagram. Uh yes. and as always you can still email us 
Bearded Levites Podcast at gmail.com. Bearded Levites Podcast at gmail.com. Yeah, let us know your thoughts. Uh, don't don't email us all lives matter. Like, please don't do that one. Uh, if you do, I'm, like, I'm not gonna read it. I'll be honest. Black Lives listen, Matter. That's a good we, that's a good word. Don't don't email me all lives matter. Anybody listen, we've already established this fact. You're an image bearer. We matter. Right. Let's move on. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right now, we need to make a point to say, like, let's talk about some other things. So, but yeah, send us your thoughts, send us your email, send us your questions. Uh, Maybe today sparked something that that you're like, hey, you know what? Yeah. Good question. Good thought. Um, Stories. Love stories. So, you know, send them to us. Tell us your thoughts. And connect with us on uh, social media as well. Love that. So um, thanks for tuning in today. Um, Hope you're blessed. And uh, we'll see you next time. All right. Take care, everybody. Black Lives Matter. Bye-bye.